All right, everybody, welcome. It is Monday. Jason's back from Japan. He's mostly awake, we think, and put together a great show. You got it together for a great show. I don't know what time it is, but uh, I'm a little jet lagged. I got back from Japan. Great trip. And uh, I saw this news story. I didn't get to talk to Molly about it. So I thought we should talk about this FT story about Sequoia leaving Citizens Board uh, after electing to not participate in a pay to play round. So we'll talk all about the dynamics and we'll speculate for 20 minutes or so on what the heck is going on there. We just, you should just know that going in. Yeah. Lots uh, of spec. Then we're going to talk about the IPO window, maybe mm. opening back up again in 2023 after a pretty moribund 22. Instacart and SoftBank owned Arm are both gearing up to go public. We're going to do a little compare and contrast and break down those two businesses. Yeah. And uh, very interesting to see Instacart and their numbers, which were leaked, perhaps, but they seem to be doing good. They seem to have. Uh, right in the ship as it were and then dapper labs has a uh, duo of stories we're going to catch up on the action by the southern district of new york a very serious office uh, that doesn't take actions lightly and they tend to take things to the mat and so they are uh, in a lawsuit with dapper labs over the selling of nfts and then another story in the block describes some anonymous current and former employees who are not happy with the CEO over spending, lavish spending, maybe, or yeah. marketing expenses. What's the Just difference? Rolling on PJs while you fire the little guy is always going to get you, it's always going to get you some anonymous quotes in some yeah. sort of newspaper somewhere. Yeah, we'll find out. Going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Contra is a commission-free marketplace for freelancers and independent creators. Get $500 off your first hire at contra.com slash twist. And Revelo, looking to affordably scale your product development with global tech talent in US time zones? Hire vetted remote developers in Latin America with Revelo. Get 20% off for the first three months at revelo.com slash twist. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's, uh, it's a Monday. I'm back. <laughs> Are you sure it's a Monday? Do you yeah, know it's, what it's, day it is? Well, I left <laughs> Tokyo at 5 p.m. and I got back at 9 a.m. and I slept two hours on the plane. Then I slept like three hours when I got home and then I stayed up all night and I don't know what time it is right now when we're taping, but I'm hoping that this uh, jet lag is easier coming this way. When I, when I went to Japan, I got there at 10 p.m., which was 5 a.m. our time. And then I went cat skiing the next day and did the most challenging skiing, physical activity, I've done in 20 years. So that was dumb, but amazing. Oh, did it make it worse or did it? I feel like it would make it better ah. in the way where then that night you would just sleep and you'd just sort of wipe out the existence of the previous time zone. No, you know, I like it's to just do I, this as a mental game. If I had thought this through a little bit more, I would have added a day or two of rest and onsens and just you. chilling for the first two days I got there, not immediately tried to do to ski the abandoned ski resort while driving up to the top and cat skiing. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, I did something that was incredibly challenging. That's awesome. I think they're having that kind of skiing um, in Tahoe right now too. You might as well just paradoxically <laughs> might as I well left. Just helicopter up there and like do it all over again. I literally uh, left and I, I let uh, a family use the house cause it was their ski week. And uh, they're like, 
oh yeah, it's a record ski, record snow in Tahoe. And I was like, oh wow. So I leave to go find the powder and it dumps powder, uh, like in record amounts. But we have, thank God California has the most, I think this is the record or second snowpack mm -hmm. depth in the history of recording. I think so too. Yeah. I think we're like, we're the, I think we're like there. I mean, before this last, because there was another storm that just came in on Saturday. Yes. I think we were at like, slightly dry for most of this like i think we might have kicked the drought kind of situation yeah we did yeah yeah great the drought Amazing. seem seems to be like yeah it goes for like six seven eight years out here it's horrific and then we have these incredible monsoons and then it overflows and we don't capture any of it i was just thinking yeah. like we california has a very laissez-faire attitude towards water that we could do a better job and all of the water just runs off into yeah. the ocean here they don't and it's like gonna happen when this all this snow melts it's gonna run off and then meanwhile the colorado river is still legit empty like we mm. literally need all this water anyway it would be anyway, good if we recaptured about... some of it anyway something wouldn't to think about though? wouldn't yeah. it <laughs> just it's an idea thought just throwing that out there we need Maybe. it to live the problem in california um when i lived in uh santa monica southern california all of the you know be bone dry for 100 days then it rains and all the oil and garbage will have built up in the streets, you know, and gone down the sewers. Then the water comes and it flushes it all directly into the ocean. So instead of capturing any of that, the garbage, the water, they're just like, yeah, it doesn't rain here that much. So we just might as well just let it run off into the ocean. Like they could capture that and the garbage. So yeah, it would yeah. be better. Yeah. Humans can hey, human. There was a lot of news when I was gone. And mm -hmm. one story stuck out to me because a lot of founders had questions about it. And maybe we could talk about that one as we kick off here. Yeah, let's do it. So um, last month, Sequoia left the board of its portfolio company, Citizen, otherwise known as the app that scares the crap out of you, because every time you wake up in the morning, you have 10 citizen notifications and none of them are ever good. And maybe, no. that's just, maybe that's just Oakland. Anyway, Sequoia left the board of Citizen after declining to participate in a pay-to-play round, mm -hmm. which... There's a lot going on in that sentence, um, but let's sort of unpack it one one by one. Why this matters is that these cram down rounds have apparently been happening frequently in this new environment. And maybe this is a good time for you to start by explaining what a pay to play round is and how it happens. Sure. Uh, if you're raising money, you know, you went to an accelerator, your valuation was two million, you did a seed round, your valuation was eight million, six million, whatever. You raise a series A, 30 million post, and then you raise a series B at 100 million. Okay, the company then doesn't get proper product market fit. It's spending too much money. It anticipates since, hey, those four fundraisings I just described happened easy peasy, lemon squeezy, uh, in the height of uh, the boom market, you know, founders expect, okay, I'll just do a series B and double the valuation. It'd be great. Maybe I'll even sell some shares to the new investors and uh, buy an apartment. So then you uh, find an environment where people revalue the company. They say how much revenue you got and how much you're burning. And it turns out, let's just make a number up here. If they had a million dollars in revenue, people are valuing it at 100 times revenue in the last round. The new investors say a million dollars in revenue. Okay, 10 times that. It's worth 10 million to me. The person says, well, they raised their last round at 100 million. And nobody can agree. And then some people might have uh, the ability to block some valuations. Now, citizen... <laughs> I just made up an example, uh, a composite based on what we've seen. And mm -hmm. that pretty much tracked the last five years of the bubble. They were valued at 447 million. So this could have been 
you know, really expensive. And then nobody wants to invest. Maybe the company's burning a ton of money. So nobody sees a way to fix this. And then somebody comes along and says, I would invest, you know, if I saw the company and you laid off all these people and you got to, you know, 30 people and you had 3 million in revenue and you know, there's a chance for this to get to break even in a year or two and then be profitable. I would do it, but um, I would only do it at this valuation. And now if that valuation was 20 million and the company had raised 50, that the math doesn't work out, right? You have more basically debt on the books, uh, more capital put in than you do room to invest. So they say, okay, move all of the existing investors to common, and the board would have to vote on this. And they get 20% of the new company, they lose their preferred shares, they get 20% of the company, there's no longer a preference stack. So they don't get their $50 million out first. And then anybody who wants to can participate in this new round. So to keep a re any reasonable amount of ownership, you have to put money in. And if you don't mm -hmm. put money in, you're going to be washed out. Recapitalized is a way to say this. So the round is paid to play. You pay or you basically are going to lose a bunch of equity. And right. um, it's kind of cutthroat. I think we've had many conversations where people just say, I don't, I, I really would not want to be the person who suggests the pay to play round uh, or offers it because it creates a lot of bad feelings. And here we are, lots of bad feelings. Right. This round, in the case of Citizen specifically, which was, um, which I think you mentioned most recently valued at $447 million, had an equity conversion rate of 10 to 1, mm -hmm. meaning that the shares of those who did not participate in the current funding round would be reduced to a tenth of their previous value. Sure. So you have these bad feelings, and then you have this kind of larger question of the signal that it sent. So in this case, Sequoia refused to participate. Sequoia had led Citizen Series A in 2017. Chose elected. Elected. Yeah, I mean. What, as opposed to refused? I, you know, refused is a little bit charged. Right. You know, when you're well, making, uh, the way an investor should make this is they should value it based on the current market. Yep. And they should elect, <laughs> they should choose to invest or not based on the best interests of their LPs. Sequoia so refusing elected. makes it seem like it was an obligation, like they had to. They, they, they don't yeah. have to. So I'm guessing the press used that word, maybe, refused. They declined to participate. They elected sure. not to. Like, sure, Mike Vernal left the board. Okay, big statement. Yep. Refused. The press did use that word, per Nick, who is updating our notes in real time. I guess the, the question, so then one of the people close to Citizen said Sequoia's decision was ruthless. It's very possible that Citizen itself, like, may have or people close to Citizen use the word refuse. And mm. that as its earliest backer, it had abandoned the company in its hour of need. I wonder how much of that is an attempt to counter the signal mm. that gets sent Yeah. in the case of Sequoia electing not to participate and then leaving the board. Yeah, so uh, lots of bad feelings all mm -hmm. around. And... If you are the VC, you do not comment, right? Because there's no upside here. Yeah. It could be, we don't know, that the company was run terribly. The founders did a terrible job. It could be they didn't take anybody's advice. It could be they spent money like ridiculously uh, and weren't focused, right? And Sequoia might have looked at it and said, you know what, this company is not being run well. It did not manage its finances properly. It did not have a path to profitability. We can't put bad money after good. We made a good investment in something that was very promising. And then in the execution stage, it wasn't very, it, they proved to us that they can't build a robust, profitable business. So as an investor, can you imagine coming out and saying that? It's like, 
you, you can't come out and say bad things. It's like saying yeah, bad things no about your ex situation, right? Like, is there any upside in that? Like, people get divorced and you can look at this like a divorce. Like, you, you really, is it going to go out and badmouth your ex spouse to other people? It's really not a good idea. So I think that's probably what happened here. I mean, it seems like a lose-lose for citizen. Like, it seems like a lose-lose for a company that is in need of a fundraise, mm -hmm. finds itself in a situation where they are participating in a pay-to-play round, yep. and then you have a major investor who led one of your rounds elect not to participate and leave your board, yep. and there's no, whether they say anything or not, it's hard for that not to be a signal. Right. That's why these the things typically happen quietly. Right. And... Usually people say nice things uh, about each other if it does come out. Um, mm -hmm. And so let's look at a couple of other logical things here. And I, I know people know I'm affiliated with uh, Sequoia. They've invested in one of my companies and I was a Sequoia scout. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and so does Sequoia have money? A little yes. bit. $80 billion under assets. Yeah, they have uh, money. In they assets have under management, right. I believe. They, they have about money. $80 okay. billion. Does Sequoia know how to build large, meaningful companies in the world? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, have they participated in building companies for the ages and know how to operate these businesses? Yeah, better than anybody, you could argue. So uh, this is a, a group of people who have a ton of money, a ton of knowledge, and they elected to not participate in this funding round, which mm -hmm. was a distress funding. It is mm -hmm. the job of the founders, you know, in consultation with the board to not get themselves into this kind of situation. Right. Again, not to super blame the founders. But if something doesn't work out, and somebody who has an unlimited amount of capital and a lot of knowledge and chops in the space elects to not participate, it signals to me that maybe the company was not being operated at peak operational excellence. Let's, you know, just to be kind. That's my, that's what my gut tells me. And, uh, you know, they still have a small ownership percentage, but somebody leaked this uh, because they were hurt. Right. Definitely. Sequoia would never leak it. I can't imagine why they would. Yeah, exactly. What's the upside, right? It would be, right. What's the upside? Hey, everybody. We're back with another Show Us Your Space contest in partnership with our friends at Squarespace. We did this last year. It was a huge hit. Here's how it works. We're going to give one twist listener $1,000 in Squarespace credits, but we're doing it vertical specific this time. If you run any kind of an e-commerce related business, it could be a DTC brand, a consumer marketplace, a consumer subscription service, online course, you get the idea. Head to showusyourspace.com. That's it. And that's going to redirect you to one of my tweets from at Jason. Reply to the tweet with a short video, an image, a link, a GIF, whatever that shows off your e-commerce site on Squarespace. Then the team is going to pick a winner and we're going to give them $1,000 in a Squarespace gift card. That's right. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start a side project, a hustle, Squarespace is how you do it. On Squarespace, you can build or sell anything. We love it here at launch. We use it for remote demo day, countless other projects, and the features are amazing. They've got templates, analytics, inventory management, APIs, everything. And it's optimized for mobile. It's going to look great on an iPhone, an Android phone. Everything just looks perfect. And you can even sell courses directly inside of Squarespace and keep the 15% that other platforms are taking. Listen, it's your money. Keep it. Here's your call to action. It's so simple. Head to squarespace.com slash twist to start your free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. When you look at this dispassionately, 
mm-hmm. from just the kind of external reading, Sequoia does not appear to be the bad guy here, right? Like Sequoia appears to be a firm right. that made a decision in the best interest of its LPs. It's basically how you're and supposed to make every decision. About it. Yeah. You're supposed right. to look at every decision and say, will this return capital? Now, as an investor, you also want to have a heart, sure. Mm-hmm. But you, when it comes to writing the check and making the bet, you have to then make a dispassionate trade. Very hard to do in venture capital because as we see in venture capital, as opposed to me J trading Facebook and being like, I can, I'm criticizing Zuckerberg's behavior over here and I made the trade. It's a public thing. I'm not like, I haven't seen Zuckerberg in person in, I don't know, seven, eight years, you know, like I have no relationship to Zuckerberg. I can make a dispassionate trade. I didn't spend five, six, seven years with the company trying to build it and then make a dispassionate trade. Right. And, you know, the press is going to, you know, this is a juicy story that doesn't come out. So there is uh, what they call palace intrigue here, big money mm-hmm. intrigue, like, ooh, Sequoia, biggest name in venture capital. Ooh, this startup is a very polarizing startup. You remember, I think they had put a bounty out at one point. We covered that story. I think you I and think I covered so. it. I interviewed the, the founder yeah. on Marketplace back in the day and about yeah. this idea of like incenting people to run to crime scenes. And I mean, it's been it's been pretty controversial. It also makes me wonder about the firms that force the pay to play scheme. Yeah. Like, um, is that yeah. also a smart business? Is it kind of like, can are should we what should we tell founders about how there's probably going to be more <laughs> rescues like that headed their way in a tough funding environment? We, um, without going into specifics, we did one of these during this down market. There was an asset, still had a lot of value, uh, was damaged. The founders wanted to try to keep it alive. And, you know, it was a very modest ask. And it was literally like investing in a friends and family round, seed round, to put in a very small amount of money for a larger amount of capital in a business that was valued at 10 times what we invested in at. And I thought, Hmm, should I do this or not? Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, I thought about loyalty to the founders, etc. And then I thought about RLPs. And I balanced it, you know, okay, I trust these founders. I got some, you know, uh, experience with them. And I think it's a good trade. Now, anybody who doesn't participate in it is going to get crammed down, but they would have had a zero otherwise. And so with the person who's doing the cram down round says, Hey, I'm putting the offer out here. I realize this price is not what anybody else paid for it. Therefore, you can come in alongside me. You can pay to play. So I'm not excluding you from this. Mm-hmm. That's why the the play part is put in there. This way, it's back on the original investors. You're choosing not to invest at this new valuation. You had the chance. So this, you, you bought shares at a dollar. Now they're worth 10 cents. You liked them at a dollar, but you won't participate in 10 cents. Okay, you made your choice. And I choose to buy them at 10 cents. It's just that when it's a private company, there's a lot of feels. There's a lot yeah. of feelings. This also well, that, is a, this might have also been now that you bring up the, the, you know, the discussion at marketplace with like, how people were a little uneasy with the startup. This might have just been a convenient time to disengage from a startup that was just a little too uh, spicy. Maybe right? Like, yeah, I, maybe Sequoia didn't or other investors didn't like this idea of the bounties or the sending people to crime scenes and just said, you know what, we invested in this because we thought it was an interesting concept originally, but, you know, it didn't pan out and they're doing things that are a little too aggro for us to be associated with. When the founder, Andrew Frame was also on Twist, episode 1117, he mentioned they were going to try to build some kind of, quote, vigilante protection service 
where people in high crime areas could pay a monthly fee to essentially have a security guard escort them from place to place. I mean, Uber for security guards is a brilliant idea. <laughs> that exists to a certain like, extent. Actually, I'm in. Now, if you said, hey, wouldn't it be great if during a high crime time, you could click a button, or if you were an individual who was a public person and needed security on demand, you could click a button and for 40 bucks an hour, have somebody sit outside your house for a night. Like, that sounds like a... That man yeah. has a service. We have, I mean, my neighborhood has like a lot of neighborhoods that have some kind of an HOA, have private security. That's like becoming more and more common where you just yes. sort of pool your money and you pay for somebody to patrol. It is a but huge it's not deterrent. uncommon. Yeah. yeah. I'm putting cameras up. We had the, uh, the, the license plate reading company that small towns are doing license plate reading companies. So it reads all the license plates that come into your area. A little bit of privacy concern there, but you know, it, it, it dumps the data every 30 days or something and you know, hey, this license plate hasn't been in the neighborhood before. Okay, yeah, it's a delivery truck. Who cares? It's an Uber. Oh, you know, it's a unmarked van that's beaten up and it's sitting on the side of the road somewhere idling. Okay, could be a reason, but we should <laughs> send somebody out there to check it out. Right. Oh yeah, somebody's living in their van. Okay, good to know. <laughs> oh, somebody's, you know, lost. Great, it's a broken down car, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, they, they seem like spicy founders. I'll be honest. Oh, 100% spicy founders. I wonder the extent to which we're going to start to see. I mean, spicy founders have had it a perfectly good <laughs> run, right? For <laughs> a long time. Like spicy founders isn't always a problem. In fact, often it is considered a, a feature, not a bug. But I wonder the extent to which we're going to start to see, you know, for various reasons that range from spicy founders to simply it's just pirate. making yeah, yeah. the... The pirate, pirate founder? Here's the thing about founder. being a pirate. You better Is it gonna get more be successful? <laughs> but just on the point of pirates. Because <laughs> otherwise you get killed by the other pirates. Exactly. If you mm -hmm. want to be a pirate, you gotta be successful at that job. And so, you know, is citizen successful? I, I don't know that they made a they ever found a business model that worked. I think they were trying to figure it out. And it's a free product yeah. and they got to vigilante as a service, like <laughs> You know, it sounds like they, they didn't like, find... They have a subscription. They have like a premium product. Oh, do they? That they always try to get me to sign up for whenever I open it. it would, yeah. Um, so would it be worth but, it? I don't know. But generally, as we like get deeper into this downturn, I do wonder about this like quantitative versus qualitative and the having to set the feelings aside and be a little more ruthless, which is part of the industry and always has been. Like it's finance at the end of the day, finance with relationships. But I, because there are so many founders who had a really easy time raising who have not seen a downturn and we're talking about funds not just sequoia but funds that feel like they have unlimited capital like i do wonder if we're going to see more publicly hurt feelings like this has been sure. a business conducted in private for a long time but you wonder how much of it's going to come out as as these firms start to make harder and harder decisions yeah it tends to come out you have dribs and drabs of stuff yeah. you know the the, there's an incentive to be magnanimous uh, in these situations. If you're the investor, you never want to say something bad about a founder because that other founder is like, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, you're gonna say something bad about me, uh, mm -hmm. or vice versa. So for these founders, if they did leak this, I don't know that they did, but kind of feels like it would be a leak from that side, or it could be a uh, an angel investor who is aware of this, talked to the founders and leaked it on their behalf. Anything's possible here. So I don't want to speculate more than speculating every possible more than we already <laughs> for have. 20 minutes every 20 possible minutes, permutation yeah. <laughs> of this but I, i'm speculating for the help of the of the founders listening like yeah if it doesn't work out you can just quietly you know have your opinion about the other person 
If somebody asks you, hey, should I have them as an investor? You can say it didn't work out for me, but you might have a different experience or say nothing. And that that really is, I think, how Silicon Valley works. I, I, you don't hear people bad mouthing people. It's very subtle here. And uh, you want to keep optionality. What if the citizen founders, one of the citizen founders, their next business is Uber or Airbnb? Hey, you know, uh, so you want to keep good relations and, and vice versa. What if they come up with a great idea that Sequoia is going to back them again? Keep, mm -hmm. keep everything friendly. Enemies accumulate as these companies go out of business. You got to just try to be kind to everybody on the way out. It's hard enough. You know, you get these stories once in a while. The, the press loves these stories. I'm not saying they shouldn't cover them either, but the press loves these stories. These are, you know, they, they don't happen often. And, but I wouldn't read too much into it. Like, uh, you have to make the right trade as an investor for your LPs. And remember, they had FTX. Remember, Sequoia invested in FTX and they had written that blog post that was effusive about how great Sam Bankman Fried was. VCs are on high alert right now. Oh, God, if you backed Theranos, if you backed FTX, you're on high alert. And my, I, you can't have those kind of things back to back. So maybe they saw like, oh, this could have had this could have other issues. Like, what if they do vigilante as a service and somebody gets killed and then Sequoia backed vigilante as a service? They may have been trying to unwind this for a while. They may have been asking the founder, hey, please don't do crazy things like vigilante as a service. We you know, it, it, it blows back on us kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. So, so much to speculate about. So um, much. But, but you know, far, far be it from us to speculate. Far be it from us to speculate. For 25 minutes. No, for 25 this. minutes. Hiring freelancers and doing that on project-based work is a brilliant way for you to grow your startup sustainably, right? You can't just hire everybody in every little vertical. And listen, there is a ton of top talent right now out there looking for work due to all the layoffs in tech. You know that. So you need to check out Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A. Contra is a commission-free marketplace for freelance and independent creators. So all that money that's going back and forth between you and your freelancers, it's not getting taken by some marketplace. No, there's no percentage-based upcharge when you do hire somebody. And they do all the vetting. They find the best people. On the other side of the marketplace, hey, if you're one of these laid-off tech workers and you got tons of skill, I'll sign up for Contra. It's an amazing platform for you. And remember, like I said above, creators on Contra keep 100% of what they make. There's no fees. They specialize in design, engineering, social media, video, writing, and of course, AI. This is a really easy way for you to get great talent and to do it quickly. If you need project-based work, you need to check out Contra. It's that easy. And you know what? The best thing about freelancers is you only spend what you need to spend. You might have a really important social media project, but it's only for six months of the year or you need some videos, but you only need 10 of them, not 100 of them. They're going to do it fast. They're going to do it right. So here's your call to action. I can't believe it. $500 off your first hire at Contra.com slash twist. That's right. Five crisp hundies waiting for you at Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A dot com slash twist. We are going to potentially get the opportunity to speculate in public about oh. publicly traded companies that we've had many questions about because it yeah. looks like the IPO window might what? be opening back up. Here we go. After a quiet 2022, Instacart and the really dishy one, SoftBank-owned mm. Arm, are both reportedly gearing up to go public this year. Of That's course. a big deal. I, there were Mosses. basically... Bupkis IPOs in uh, 2022, there were 181, which was down 82.5% from 2021 when there were over a thousand IPOs. That was an all-time high. Um, but it looks like at least so far, 
Of course, you know, Stripe remains the outstanding question, but so far it looks like we're going to see two major IPOs in Instacart and Arm. So we can break them both down here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Instacart took that Instacart's huge valuation really, cut, if you remember. Uh, yeah. That we talked about that on the show, 75%. 75%. Um, and yeah. then they've been talking, I guess, about their results publicly. They had a leak. Always a leak, but, okay. But it's the kind of leak that makes you think they're talking about it publicly as they like raise attention for their IPO, you know? That does happen. Um, especially since it's good news and not bad news in the case of Instacart. Yeah, good news leak is like, Hey, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, Valleywag, <laughs> you're never going to believe it. Our revenue's up 50%. Scandalous. What has happened that Wall Street Journal is the new Valleywag? Bless. Yeah. Yeah, they did leak that, uh, or somebody leaked, sorry, somebody leaked. that in Q4 2022, far be it from us to speculate, but someone Who leaked. leaked. Revenue was up <laughs> <CFO>. more than... <laughs> <laughs> Not insta CFO at AOL.com. <laughs> oh no, I accidentally said that. <laughs> Oops. Well, nice. Revenue was up more than 50%, even though order volume only grew 16% because oh. Instacart turned on advertising in hmm. the app. Boom. Instant money ah. machine. We have yeah, seen yeah. this um, happen with a bunch of consumer tech businesses, Amazon, Uber, and now Instacart. Yes. Reportedly, gross profit was up more than 80%. And for the full year 2022, Instacart revenue increased 39% to $2.5 billion. So at a $10 billion valuation, which Mm -hmm. is what they cut the internal valuation to back in 2022, Instacart would only be be trading at 4x 2022 revenue. Okay, great. Seems reasonable. Yeah. There were, there's a lot of headwinds against this business, lots of competitors. Uh, Amazon, Uber's doing delivery of groceries now. I think DoorDash is doing delivery of groceries now too. Yeah. And yeah. so those services work really well. They have large networks of buyers. I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because I'm team Uber still, but I, I've been using the Uber grocery product and it's faster. And we have Instacart too. Mm-hmm. And we were Instacart and good eggs only. And now Uber's taken a, a decent chunk of that because it's just so much faster. This kind of feels like, I remember saying this when GoPro was about to go public, that like, you better just go, ha- oh, go ahead and do that now. Like now's your shot. Go public, yeah. raise that money, yep, and then you know chunk along. But I, I don't know that there's going to for all of the reasons you just mentioned. I don't know that there's going to be a better window for Instacart than there is now because it is hard to pinpoint the differentiator. Like they've got, I like that Instacart has a lot of stores, a lot, and it's easy to choose from them. I don't find the shopping to be particularly high quality. That's probably regional. Right. It depends uh, on like no, where you the, are. The issue really with these services is, you know, unlike Amazon, where I've never gotten a mistake. Yeah. Every Instacart order has three mistakes, right. two mistakes. And, like, and you're just, just like, I'm going to deal with it. It's like a meme. At this it point. Is, like, it's just uh, like, like sort of a joke. Like, ooh, what did I get from Instacart? Nine pounds of sugar. Whoops. You know, or it's, you know, it's and for me, it's just something subtle. Like I like a certain type of Greek yogurt and they substituted the brand. I absolutely hate, you know, and I'm just like, Ugh. right. You know, now I got to eat the yogurt, you know, you start getting your first world vibe on where you're just outraged that like the Greek yogurt that you love is now you're getting the one that's not as thick as the. And everything that they've done, I mean, ironically, everything they've done to try to mitigate the mistakes just adds work. So like you have to go in and you have to select which things to substitute with and which not. And then you have to communicate constantly like. I will oh my frequently God. That put in is an Instacart. The thing. Oh my God. They call, they text. They're like it's your like, stalker. It's like, 
going shopping with a teenager, it's now going to take three times as long. What about um, this? What I about just, this? What about this? I just, exactly. I just check, do not, no subs, no substitutions. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And it uh, makes but everything so it does, super like, easy. So then you, and then when you're going through that experience and you're mad about it, then you feel like such a first word, a world, a hole. Yes. That uh, I just then have just started to go to the store. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the store. And that's uh, bad for Instacart. Like they don't, they want me to sit there and have a first world experience. But I don't. There so is therefore. something nice about going to the store and perusing the aisles and seeing what's there. Sometimes I uh, had that experience, you know, when I go up to Lake Tahoe and I'm in the mountains, there's no Instacart. And it's quite nice for me for a change of pace to do my own shopping uh, as opposed to, you know, having it delivered to my doorstep. But I do think this advertising business is a very interesting uh, wrinkle. If you mm -hmm. think about... Uh, hitting scale with these businesses, and then you are Frito-Lay, or you are Budweiser, or Eggo Waffles, <laughs> something, you know, and then you, uh, they always give you that, oh, do you want to add this to your order? And it's like, do I want to add Eggo Waffles? Of course I do. Like, who yeah. doesn't like those? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Frosted it works like a charm. So, are you going to advertise on television, and then hope that your Eggo Waffle, or your Frosted Flake commercial, your Budweiser commercial, incense me, to actually buy that product? Or would you like to have the Google search version of that product, which is, hey, when somebody's at the checkout counter, would you like somebody to say, Eggo waffles and dangle them above your cart? Right. Like that's I'd literally like, what they're the doing. the hell away from me, I know. They're like, and if it happened dangling the above the last bag, here's your Eggos, just say it, say the word, click, boop. Well, it's just like an end cap. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like having the promotional yes. part of the grocery store. And I always buy those stupid cake cookies with the pink frosting that are disgusting. Oof. Like this is brilliant. Yeah. Like in terms it's, of integrating advertising, there's almost yeah. no better way to put advertising to turn it on than in a place where people are already shopping and are just like, oh, okay, sure. Fine. I mean, I'll go through those stupid, it's like Instacart, it's like three screens. And I'm just like, yeah, I want one of those and some of that and give me this. And they, they get me on Uber it's Eats. Genius. Like when I'm ordering food, they're like, Hey side of guacamole or you know do you totally. want flan and i'm like yeah i want flan yeah i want flan <laughs> i'm not supposed to eat it but i do want it and like mm -hmm. I, this is i think smart revenue the, it it's what brand cpg advertisers have always coveted you know the checkout and they've never had access to it and because you can't fit that much in the candy bars at the checkout, right? The, you can't put a bunch of products there. You, they have like magazines and candy. So it is funny now that you mention it. Like I'm picturing in the store aisles those those last aisles that are and they are crammed with stuff. I mean, it's like there's some magazines and then there's candy and then there's like a row of chiclets and then this and that. I mean, it, you yeah. can almost feel the yeah. desperation of the bidding on the checkout aisle. And now it's like digital checkout aisle where it's just like. Amazing. recommendation 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 rec i mean it's really actually you could imagine that becoming a huge part of it you could imagine that imagine that especially in a competitive environment being the thing that keeps you it afloat might be the business and maybe it becomes the business maybe exactly. it actually is the business maybe yeah. amazon's business ultimately is people buying ads and breaking even on the delivery of it yeah it might even that might actually be the business mm-hmm like, we don't really need to make money off of your order. We break even on it, but we have this advertising moment at the end that just is so coveted. We make money off that. Finding great engineers is time consuming. It's expensive. Let's face it, it's a pain in the neck. 
If you're looking for qualified international developers without those crazy time differences, Revelo is the answer. Revelo is a talent platform that matches you with vetted full-time remote developers in Latin America, which is to say they work in the US time zone, right? This means your engineers, your product managers, your designers, your executives, they can collaborate in real time with your devs. Plus, it's so much more cost effective than hiring in the US. And you're gonna get matched with vetted candidates within three days. Ravello handles all the annoying stuff, payroll, taxes, benefits, all that mashugana, they take care of it. This means you can hire internationally without the headache. Ravello's engineers are full-time, and embedded in your team like normal employees. They're proficient in AWS, Rust, Ruby, React, Python, Node.js, all that good stuff. And Ravello's customers include GitHub, Foursquare, Carta, Indiegogo, and Kickstarter, among many others. So here is your call to action. I want you to go to ravello.com slash twist and mention twist to get 20% off your first three months. Plus, they offer a 100% risk-free 14-day trial, period. If you're not satisfied, you pay nothing, nada, zero, zilch. That's ravello.com slash twist, R-E-V-E-L-O.com slash twist. Mention twist to get that 20% off. So Arm, this is, uh, I believe, so SoftBank bought Arm, right? SoftBank bought Arm when it was public. Right. So Arm is a fascinating company. It is a chip it's british and it's a chip design company meaning that it doesn't actually manufacture its own chips it's actually quite clever it's like the lowest you know capital intensive way to do this they create this chip architecture and license it license its chip blueprint technology basically and then they take a royalty on mm. products that are sold using that technology so once you build the chip using arms blueprint they charge you for the blueprint, and then they charge you a license, a royalty fee every time you build and sell one of those chips. And so, uh, in 2021, Arm reportedly generated 2.7 billion dollars in revenue. The licensing and the royalty revenue were somewhat close to even. The licensing revenue has been growing a lot faster. But Arm was founded in 1990 as a joint venture between Apple, Acorn Computers, and VLSI Technology. In 1998, it went public on the NASDAQ and London Stock Exchange. But then in 2016, it was bought by SoftBank for $32 billion with, and this was reported in 2020, the intent always to, mm. to sell it to somebody like NVIDIA. So in 2020, mm. NVIDIA reached a deal to buy ARM from SoftBank for $40 billion in stock and cash, and SoftBank wow. would get a 10% stake in NVIDIA. I mean, this would have been... A nice. blockbuster, like just an absolutely absurd deal. NVIDIA becomes basically the king of the world. However, in February 2022, after more than a year of regulatory scrutiny, the acquisition was canceled. And NVIDIA kind of had to go back to the drawing board in some ways, but they remained pretty strong. And then SoftBank is looking to take arm public. Everybody was like, oh, God, SoftBank really ate it on that deal. I always knew ARM because when you when I was back in my PC era back in the day, you had a choice to buy an Intel PC or an ARM PC, the ARM ones mm -hmm. were cheaper and more powerful, way more bang for the buck, it seemed. And then Intel did like, ooh, the Intel design, you know, Intel inside campaign, the jingle, and really said, Hey, you know, we we're the better ones. But it was kind of like a Coke and a Pepsi kind of thing, or maybe RC Cola and Coke might be a better analogy. But they also do all of the smaller chips for wearables and 
smartphones yep. and that kind of stuff. So I think that was their big innovation as well. That's why they were kind of an Intel killer, because re you recall Intel has been, ha is still, hmm. but like ARM ate Intel's lunch by building mobile chip designs. Ah. And Intel never really cracked the mobile market. I think still has not cracked the mobile market, which has been a big question for them. So then the theory was that if NVIDIA had acquired ARM, had acquired ARM, and this, I think, was sort of SoftBank's plan all along in acquiring it and taking it private. Um, NVIDIA would then control the market for GPUs, which, of course, are the key to AI processing. To They've become really big for autonomous driving development, huge for crypto mining. Hmm. And then they also would have had access to all of this sort of mobile chip development. Just stepping back from ARM and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Wish them a great IPO. Uh, congratulations. Uh, and I hope Masa makes a bundle of money and gets back in the game. I know he's got they some debt to pay down. To be clear, we're expecting yeah. papers in like April-ish. I have to say, I have, uh, stepping back, I am very impressed at how fast the CHIPS Act went through. And I've been giving that a lot of thought. Hmm. Have we ever seen a bipartisan bill like this to subsidize businesses go through this quickly i mean the great financial crisis and that that would be one where they did the bailout of all the banks or whatever right but, but this that was a seems, bailout not an incentive yeah yeah so it's kind of mm -hmm. different right that was acute it wasn't like so then you see this chips and science act and mm -hmm. we started hearing about this like a couple of years ago in 2021 maybe it starts bubbling up and then it's like boom it's in effect and boom everybody's building factories and like these incentives are going it's big right 52 billion or something it's like this giant thing and roughly 280 yeah. billion to boost domestic research according to wikipedia and That's i was huge. wondering why why is this going why is this train going so fast you know oh china yeah exactly and One why word. exactly are they so concerned about chips in china and then all of this stuff with the lab theory <laughs> comes out. And I was like, ah, they really think, I think what was happening is people really think the relationship with China over this lab leak thing was going to come out and be like really hairy and gnarly and this Taiwan situation and all of this craziness going on. We didn't want to be caught short with not having chips. Am I, is it too tinfoil hat? A, maybe, maybe. I, I, I'm admitting it's a tinfoil hat kind of maybe. moment. I know. I'm like, well, or or um, we got into a trade war with China. There yeah. were like lots and lots and lots of tariffs. Yep. There was there were threats to withhold, okay. and we do not have domestic manufacturing of semiconductors. Like we don't nope. have it now. Nope. To be clear, a lot happens in China. If there's a tinfoil hat, it's more really maybe about China invading Taiwan because mm -hmm. Taiwan Semiconductor. Yep. Manufacturing company, best name ever. I love a literal name, yeah. TSMC. What do they is, do? <laughs> where, where are they exactly? They just <laughs> do they make anything? <laughs> I mean, it's the best. It's just the greatest manufacturing is company. Oh, the okay. biggest manufacturing. Yeah, but it's, it's like biggest, literally you know, the It's a manufacturing company. <laughs> literally, we make stuff. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. Like, it's so great. They're manufacturing company the that delivers to you, <laughs> and then. During COVID, unrelated to labs or anything, yeah, anything right? there, yeah. we just couldn't get any. You, if you can't get chips, 
There is no cars. nothing that you can build. There are no cars. There yeah. are no computers. There are no phones. There are no appliances, watches. Yeah. There are no appliances. There's nothing. I mean, yeah. I actually think the Bombs. speed with which we moved was the actual internalizing of the national security risk here. Yeah. yeah, you can't build a bomb, for God's sake. You need a lot of bombs, turns out. You need a lot of chips in those bombs. There's still so, nothing yeah. that we spend more money on than bombs. I, I Yeah, I don't know if we manufacture those ourselves. I'd be interested in following those backwards. like Because they, they probably have all kinds of chips in them. Like, wait, it's bombs? not just one set of chips, there's a zillion of them. So, <laughs> you know, we're the, you know. They're the like, wait, who makes our bombs? Do well, we need to onshore the, this? The, well, and the components in them, right? They're, who knows what components are used for the equipment around the bomb? The, you know, the truck that drives the bomb somewhere, the... The missile silo, you know, the computer monitors and Dude, computers if we that find run out that the we're missile making, silo. If we find out we're making our missiles in China, that's going to be amazing. Well, I don't think we're making them there, but it, is it possible that there are components inside of, you know, Definitely. aspects that come from Taiwan? It's possible, probable. 100%. Yeah. So like they all, we don't have, there are no, there are hardly, and maybe like Micron had, does some, has a foundry in the US. Oh, we didn't see when like, we were away for these two weeks, we didn't get to talk about the. That's why I say I really wanted to talk to you about the lively theory with a report that came out that maybe, you know, more people are leaning towards it's a possibility. We didn't well, get to I talk about that. I think we're up to that. like two out of seven federal agencies, one oh, like, with moderate yeah. and one with low confidence. Yeah. We should so. definitely run with that, though. I mean, it, it does feel like the chances of there being two research facilities in the world that do this and one of them was where the outbreak, it's just geographically yeah. peculiar. I find it, I think I tweeted something to the effect that, that it was very interesting that all of a sudden there was just a ton of like heavily misrepresent because yeah. that report did come out from the DOE. Mm. Moderate, they said they had moderate confidence yeah. in the idea that it could be a lab leak. I think the FBI is still at low confidence and every other federal agency so far. Yeah. And we don't know what they're going to come up with eventually, but so far is like, nah wet market i'm going with john stewart <laughs> however like we might find out more information it was just weird that there was that and then the massively misrepresented mask thing in the same yeah. week that doesn't it's like ugh, like i want to get to truth ground yes. truth but that doesn't feel like we're going either. it feels like now we're just going to go all the way in the other direction and then get to ignore the fact that like millions you know so many excess people died in the u.s and didn't have to it's uh this is going to be a messy one to unpack it really it's gonna is be super messy to unpack. I just hope we can objectively look at it. And we need a commission. Like we need a COVID commission, like the 9-11 yeah. commission, like the Watergate commission. Like we need why is that exist? a truly bipartisan commission because people are crazy. I mean, this seems like something that should be a real focus just because it's going to happen again. Right. Yeah. So wouldn't it be it's good to just already know? not to be like a giant bummer, but it's probably already brewing with like bird flu right now. Evidently it's like in minks. And makes oh, have really? a respiratory system that's like the same as humans. You know what we should do is we should oh, study like that. It. Hey, here's an idea. <laughs> we should study that. You know what we should do is we right? should study not only that, but what that. it could evolve into. Just so we're prepared hey. for the next version. Yes. So we could like literally use science to study what? where that is going. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't do that. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> like we could be prepared yeah. for it? Well, we could just evolve it, you know, we could just give it like a gain of function. We could like add to the functionality oh, of whatever we find <laughs> and then <laughs> you just do like some, you know, add some functions to it. Like see if, it, I mean, if you made it fair, more robust, what would happen? <laughs> we do do that. We definitely are. We do that. We do that. Do it. I, 
I have I a really good idea. I think that's why we don't talk about Lab League stuff because we're like, we also have labs. We don't want to talk about Lab League. We have all uh, the labs. We're all doing the same stuff. Just do it on an island, like Plum Island. <laughs> you ever hear of it? It's a mile and what a half island? off the coast of Long Island. And uh, that feels close. It's, it's, yes. Can you go further? But it's a mile and a half. Like, I think it was like three blocks to the wet market <laughs> outside mm. of the Wuhan COVID, library, right. <laughs> COVID uh, laboratory. So a mile and a half of water. It's a start, at least. It's a start. If you're going to do. It's yeah. better than blocks. Better than blocks. I, mean, I wonder where we're doing it. I wonder where our labs we're, no, are. Plum Island. Plum Island Animal Disease that is Center. Where it's happening? Yeah, this is a whole, uh, like, if you want to go super tinfoil hat, you can go down the Plum Island tinfoil hat. Yeah. where this is where they study foreign animal diseases on livestock on an island off of Long Island. It's kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. There's stuff that you just want to be cool about. Yeah. Because if you don't, it, you get into a mutually assured destruction loop. Mm. And like, ah. you can bet that whatever China's doing, we're sure. doing. Yeah. And so you don't want to, you know, it's like you don't want to get too high horsey about stuff i mean it's when we probably funded it too so we probably funded it yeah so i mean i i did, i would be fine with just taking ownership of it and moving on that has that for an idea like we all just take ownership of it and do better but what? plum island if you for those people that looking to go down like an area 51 <laughs> rabbit hole may i suggest <laughs> plum island i'm sure there's a joe rogan episode I'm, with somebody I'm, who he's just escaped. asking questions <laughs> i love it hey, let's go I used to love that series that um, Leonard Nimoy used to do, In Search Of. Do you remember In Search Of? Oh, yeah. In I Search Of. I forgot about that show. Leonard, oh, I got to look this up. So there was a show called In Search Of, uh, and they did 144 episodes, it seems, and Leonard Nimoy hosted it. In Search Of Bigfoot? Oh, my God. This was like OG conspiracy theory stuff, Lock too. This Monster, amazing. all the classics, all wow. the classics. but. To have Leonard Nimoy do the voiceover was just amazing. This is incredible. I want to go back and like watch all of these. The it outer space connection. So great. I'll tell you, man, you could have a really fun afternoon with a weed gummy in that show, Ancient Aliens. Oh, no. On the, that <laughs> is, is on this? the History Channel. Oh, the History Channel has the history of aliens? The History oh. Channel has a show called Ancient Aliens, and it's always the same wackadoodle guy who's like really tan and has this big mm -hmm. mullet and is draw is is pointing out how like ancient relics all have the same alien designs. Mm. Yes, there the it aliens, is. There it is. Okay. <laughs> aliens. It's, it's just, I'm just saying, put or the balloons. hat on or balloons. and go crazy. Oh, they're probably they're got to be aliens. Any crypto craziness as we round third base here? Always seems like. It's like always good to round the show off with the latest in crypto nonsense. Yeah, yeah this is when a is good one. This is a good one. When like how and many how? Thanksgivings have to be hijacked by crypto discussions and your I crypto cousin? I want Thanksgiving reparations from the crypto industry. Is what For I sure. want. Yeah, Just I please. want payback. Give Just me my, can I, I want get my time back, back those nine hours? Dapper Labs CEO Roham Garigoslu was reportedly, Dapper Labs, by the way, is uh, the maker of NBA Top Shot. Yeah, crypto kitties yeah. and the flow blockchain so like big big, big names that everybody knows they've done really um, great stuff too like the that nba top shot was very successful yeah yeah definitely and in fact uh, dapper labs has raised money from a16z kotu bond which is mary meeker nba players like kevin durant clay thompson josh hart 
<laughs> there's a little note here that says go Knicks. Oh, okay. I wonder well, what that's about. And, <laughs> and other athletes. Um, <laughs> nine. We've got anyway. we're a nine game winning streak right now. The Knicks are playing better than they have since I was in my 20s and Patrick Ewing was on the Knicks. So Josh Hart, nine and oh. He is the guy. Side, side notes galore. Um, anyway, so it appears that obviously the NFT and the crypto space have been completely hammered over mm. the past year or so. And again, circling all the way back up to the top, feelings are coming out in the press. Now, 11 anonymous current and former oh, Dapper no. Labs employees are speaking out oh, against what? its CEO. Uh-oh. Yeah. Hey, you had me. Once it was double digits, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I've been through this. 11. <laughs> when you yeah. get to double digits, like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's not good. It's not two. <laughs> it's not good. It's not three people. It really who, is not. We're, yeah. So... In March 2022, Dapper Labs raised $250 million at a $7.6 billion valuation led by Kotu. At its peak, the NBA Top Shot collection generated $224 million in sales in the month of February 2021. But then, of course, so $224 million in February 2021. Those sales fell to $2.8 million last month. Okay. That's total sales, which they get a percentage of. If their take rate was the standard 20 or 30% that you see, mm-hmm. uh, or 20, 30% for like a really uh, elite marketplace, like App Store marketplace. Right. Right. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, say 30%, like a really high one. That means they made a million dollars or so, 900K, yeah, whatever. So, yeah. And, down from that, 90. and when you look at this, you know, monthly trading volumes declining 95% through 2022. Sure. However, Apparently, none of that ongoing decline stopped Roham from rolling on private jets, renting mansions at uh, up to $300,000 a month, and uh, just generally living the dream. He would routinely apparently rent these mansions. He The uh, private jets had become one of his priciest expenditures. The trips would cost between $60,000 and $100,000 per flight. When not renting a mansion, I'm just quoting from the article because it's just a a corker. When not renting a mansion, the CEO often booked five-star hotel suites that would sometimes cost as much as $30,000 a night, according to one person familiar with the matter. As Gary Wait, he did this as as on the company or his own personal? Oh, yeah, he would. This is the most amazing thing. Uh, He considered these big ticket expenses integral to his strategy of cozying up to celebrities. And so they would be listed as marketing expenses. Oh, Yep. So, okay, let's pause for a second on this. Marketing. Yeah. There is an instance where if you uh, were at CES Mm -hmm. and you rented a suite to invite people by who are buyers of your product and you'd want that suite to be impressive, right? We've all been to those suites at CES where people- you throw a South by Southwest party. Right now, there are massive marketing budgets being like thrown at South by Southwest. Now, so if it was, in fact, that you rented a $10,000 or $30,000 suite one night, if 100 people came to it, and these were 100 buyers, and there was some sort of justification, okay, mm-hmm. one night in the suite, two nights in the suite to set it up, and it's got a business expense, that would be valid marketing. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, just so we steel man, straw man, whatever, uh, steel man. It. Uh, yeah, of course. But flying on a private jet Every if you time. were flying kevin durant to a speaking gig to sell things okay if you're mm-hmm. flying yourself no bueno 
not, not necessary. So you have to look at each one of these independently. This is why as the CEO of a company, they 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 nail a lot of CEOs on personal expense. Mm -hmm. This is why you got to make it bulletproof. Right? Like it's not the suite you're staying in. Mm -hmm. The marketing department rented it. So I'm just giving a little advice here. And it was approved and it was thoughtful and you had the sales that occurred because of it. Right. I've had you this happen your, in companies. You tracked your ROI. Yeah. You track the ROI of it. And it was driven by the marketing department. So if the CEO is doing stuff like this unilaterally and it's for their room where they're staying, that's not good. Yeah. If the marketing department did it, so if you were on the board of this company, how you would evaluate it, or for people who are, you know, thinking about doing something like this, just you have to be thoughtful if you have shareholders. If you own 100% of the company, you can do whatever you want, as long as it's within the tax law. And the tax mm -hmm. law would be totally fine with you having a party or marketing through a party, but not for your travel expenses if it was personal. And then there's just the optics. So once you right. have to explain optics, that's when you get yourself in trouble too. Yeah, it's a very, it, to me, this also feels like an interesting case of what happens when you get too much money, which I think we've talked about. Yes. Um, there is, let's see, in a statement, Dapper said, quote, the notion that, oh, so anyway, th this, two things about this. One, a lot of money came flowing into this company and I suspect that there was no small amount of keeping up with the Joneses here, as they kind of say in their statement. They're like, we have and will continue to spend money on high impact events. Our business is rooted in entertainment and sports. You have a CEO yeah. with, you know, who has a huge amount of funding and is at some point having up to, you know, $60 million in trading volume in a single month. And is like, this is what we have to project because this is the hmm. pool that we're swimming in. It does make you, I mean, it is an interesting governance question because it does feel like there were a lot of really, again, very, very well-respected investors, presumably on their board. Dapper Lab has five board members and three observers. So, so uh, Roham Kerry goes yeah. himself. Uh, maybe a relative. but And the observers are Chris Dixon, of A16Z, Dan Rose from KOTU, and Fred Wilson. These are legit investors. Like uh, The marketing expenses here could be completely justified. Or if he was doing this alone, solo, yeah, they would be abusive and he could get fired for it. I think he seems like a smart cat. And I'm going to go with these are expensive things to do and they have bad optics but uh especially if you had to lay off a bunch of people so those people who got laid off who are trying to dunk on him i guess or whatever yeah sure that does look happen. bad that yeah. you spent money on private jets yeah of course and that private jet equals somebody's salary or something who got laid off you can you can kind of make all the jumps here but if that also, private jet was like for kevin durant and steph curry right to go right. do a speaking gig and sell those NFTs that sold a quarter billion dollars. Yeah, 250 million worth of quarter billion dollars worth of NFTs, then it was worth it. Also, it sounds like he was just a real jerk internally. Like, it oh. sounds like as things started to decline, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when you look at why 11 people are speaking to the press, it's also that there became this really bullying culture, lots and lots of micromanagement. Uh, 
Yeah. That he would publicly shame people on sta- on Slack or scream at employees during video calls. Oh, yeah, screaming. No. Et cetera, et cetera. As, as the market went down, he became harder to work with, it sounds like. But j- just on this uh, thing, wh- what are the 11 employees hoping to get out of this? Is this just a slam piece? Or is it like, are they in a lawsuit? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they're just going public with it. They're just going Sounds public. Like it's not no lawsuit. As, it's not as part of a lawsuit because you know something unfair happened to them. There's no unfair labor practices here kind of situation. We have no. And idea. I mean, there's no the lawsuit. Block. Like maybe yet. I don't know. Right? Mm. Who knows? Maybe people are contemplating. But right now, it's just it's just, it's just, <laughs> just it is a slam piece in the block, potentially related to who knows layoffs. Mm. Most likely, there's a there's kind of a lot of. Again, we have we have a whole story arc here, starting at the top mm-hmm. and ending here. Like, we can enter a lot of slam pieces about media layoffs right now. Like, we can just anticipate that there's going to be a lot of this because there's a lot of disgruntlement. Yeah, when you're reading these things, I think always asking what the press is going to cover interesting stories, especially if people there's conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Conflict equals drama. Conflict sometimes there's something important, and if somebody was spending a sh- sugar ton of money, that's also notable. Yeah. You have to look at it and say, are these anonymous and are, is there a point to this? Are they trying to get him fired? Is there a lawsuit? In this case, I guess they just got a bunch of people who were laid off to talk about it. It said current, they oh, are anonymous, but it was 11 oh. current and former employees, including both staffers who left of their own volition and those who did not. Got it. So I would like to see that number broken down. Yeah. <laughs> so that anyway. is exactly what Nick predicted that you would say. Well, like you'd be like, I mean, well, is it one person who still works there and like 10 who got laid off? You know, yeah. And it's just we one of the problems with any, I am so, I, I feel like we've gotten into a dysfunctional usage of unnamed sources now, where I think like the unnamed sources yeah. kind of understand they get to be unnamed. So they have this in their back pocket as like, well, if I'm mistreated, at least I can be an unnamed source in a story and get my revenge. And if the person was fired for cause or if they left on their own volition, or if they're still there, all that matters. And then what the motivation is here, you know, sometimes this could come from an investor who's not happy, could come from a competing company, who knows? I mean, I think it's a, it is an interesting question of what recourse, if any people have when they work for a private company, and they feel that governance is failing. Like, so a generous interpretation of the people who are being quoted here is that they were like, this is terrible and people need to know about it. And we came here for equity and that equity is going to be wiped out by this banana spending. And we feel like, you know, the investors don't know what's happening and we're trying to raise the alarm. Yeah. If they were leaking that he was burning the money, uh, stupidly, right. I could understand that. Yeah. But that is what they leaked. I mean, they also said that he was a jerk, but they were, but primarily this was about the spending habits, the story at least. You know, in on boards of companies at this level, they present a plan, the plan, just so people understand, if it's compensation, Mm -hmm. there's a compensation committee, the compensation committee looks at everybody's compensation. So there's like a safeguard there. When it Mm -hmm. comes to T&E, travel and entertainment, or marketing expenses, the board would rarely double click on that. They would not say, Oh, tell us what I see we have $3 million in marketing spend this year. Can you break that down for us? Right? They would just look at okay, what is the marketing as a percentage of revenue? Okay, we had 300 million in revenue, we spent 30 million on marketing. Great. 10%. That seems in line. We'll trust you to spend it however you want. Now, in this case, if that 
30 million was spent on a lot of private jets and parties and that worked for the company. That's all the board is going to look at just so people are aware mm -hmm. of like, yeah, what yeah, happens that's a really important insight. Exactly. Yeah. Now they might if they start a report like this, say what's up and the, then they say, Okay, yeah, we spent 30 million on marketing, 6 million on parties, 24 million on cost per click ads, and they'd say, Okay, so 20% of marketing was on events, and 80% was on cost per click trackable advertising. Okay, that seems reasonable. <laughs> you know, so who knows, we, we right. don't have enough information. But just so you know, the boards here are going to look at top line level items, they're not looking at people's expenses. You have to have a certain amount of trust with the management team. And if they want to go spend a sugar ton of money on, you know, expensive dinners, as long as on a percentage basis, it falls in line, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, there was yeah. a there was a note saying too that they have a strong, well, the CEO told investors in which in a document obtained by the block, which announced that Dapper was laying 20% of its employees off the CEO told investors, that he aimed to improve efficiency and that the company is in a quote, strong cash position with no outstanding debt. Again, back to that top that to that top line point. Exactly. Yeah. So um, this is but, like, so uh, th what this speaks to Molly is like, mm -hmm. what you're seeing internally could seem wasteful and crazy. Right? What VCs see is big picture. So you're looking at the micro and saying, I can't believe that we're spending this much money on catering lunch or this event or ferrying this celebrity around on a private jet or whatever. And the board is just like, you know what, YOLO, if the top line revenue is growing, the valuation is growing. And this is a percentage of revenue. It's when it gets off that people start going, huh, wait a second. Right. I mean, you can see why someone would be asking these questions now when trading volume has declined 95% mm -hmm. in a year. When I uh, have other shareholders in my company, um, I am just unbelievably cautious, maybe even to the point of paranoid about expenses. Uh, when you own your own company, which I do in the case of launch and this week in startups, I don't have shareholders in those companies. Yeah, I can buy myself a business class ticket or, or you know, uh, entertain at a Warriors game or buy an expensive dinner. I don't have anybody to answer to. But when I do anything at Inside, as an example, I when I have shareholders in that company, man, I, I am not flying business class, I am, I would actually literally pay as a CEO, the difference between economy plus and business myself, and have done that kind of stuff many times. So my advice to founders is, um, when it comes to your personal travel expenses, the, the real flex is to use miles and stay at the W and, you know, to because you set an example for everybody in the company. And once some people in the company see you flying first class and staying at expensive hotels, they're like, oh, wait a second. You know, we have shareholders yep. and then this kind of stuff happens. So be paranoid is my best and advice. And then finally, I think okay. the other really, really interesting part about this is this lawsuit, primarily because you have a judge here. So Dapper Labs motion to have this lawsuit dismissed, the one in which they're being sued over whether they sold these top shot NFTs as unregistered securities. Okay. Um, the judge, Victor Marrero of the Southern District of New York, denied the request and then published. Oh, this 60... is SDNY? Mm hmm. Oh, and man. this, I, I, I think that this particular the, uh -oh. the piece of writing here <laughs> in uh -oh. denying this request, I sets the conversation about liability, I think, in a whole new direction. And it's fascinating. It's a 64 page opinion. 
that went through the four-part Howey test and how it relates to Dapper Labs. Um, the Howey test, of course, determines that something is a security when it meets four conditions. First, an investment of money. Second, in a common enterprise. Third, Check. with the expectation of profit. Check. And fourth, to be derived from the efforts of others. The judge did not mm. say outright that these NFTs were securities, but he did say they f- fulfilled three of the four parts. That's what I did. The first three to me makes sense. Right. And that what's also very interesting is that it might be a security because of this fundamental reason. And I think this is fascinating because Dapper Labs owns and operates the flow blockchain, the private blockchain where NBA top shots are traded. Mm -hmm. And since that blockchain's success is tied to the success of Dapper Labs itself, that's why it might be a security. The judge noted that if NBA Top Shots were traded on a public blockchain, like Bitcoin, that then maybe they wouldn't be. And I think that is such a nuanced, crucial this judge actually gets reading it. going yeah. forward. This judge really gets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This Howey test, you know, is for securities typically not collectibles. And so the collectibles industry is always like, oh, we're just trading, you know, baseball cards. Mm-hmm. literally that's what top shot is it's the digital version of uh, baseball cards and baseball cards go up in value and people buy them as an investment right yeah so it is an investment of money it is a common enterprise people do have the expectation of profit and then this last one to be derived from the efforts of others okay well when it's a company like google yeah people are working at google and you're collecting the profits of others here mm-hmm. after the card is minted using the baseball card analogy, after the baseball card is minted, there's very little effort in a baseball card or a comic for the efforts of others. You might be able to argue, like, I don't know, if they if Marvel really invests in Iron Man a whole bunch, maybe that would make it, you know, more valuable, I guess. So when they do, what do they call it when uh, an NFT like the Bored Apes mutates, or they do a drop, right? They add to the value of the NFT. You know when they do that? They'll like mutate the NFT. And yeah. They'll give you like Kinda a free like NFT a as part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when they do those kind of things, that feels like deriving from the effort of others. So that, that also could be a rub here is that if you do the thing that people find valuable about NFTs, which is those mutations and stuff, that mm-hmm. would be one. Uh, well, and also but here that it's the maintaining of the blockchain, the effort to maintain it. Right. I mean, that's one of the, I think the three things and exactly. And then the fact that It'd be like if you sold baseball cards, but then you also like the, you know, the analog version or something, if you sold baseball cards, mm-hmm. but then the only place that you could ever sell or resell or buy those cards was at your own auction that you ran. Right. That's different from like, I just yes. sell a top shot, you know, I could sell a baseball card out in the world and like buy it on yeah, eBay, sell it, sell it on eBay, yeah. sell it anywhere, sell it privately. Yeah. But if all of the then... And then that auction house, the privately owned one, takes a cut every time you do something. Then the only reason for those cards to have value is to enrich my private blockchain. And therefore, you have potentially a security. It's just a really like, good job, the judge. People are catching on. We talked about with the crypto roundtable a couple weeks ago, how like it seemed like Gary Gensler, it seems like the scalpels are coming out. Like regulators and judges and legal system is starting to figure out how to scalpel out the parts that are no good. Yeah, it's nuanced. It's, it's certainly nuanced. nuanced, and I mm-hmm. nobody thinks that Dapper Labs is a bad actor. In fact, quite the opposite. They seem to be doing things in a thoughtful way. 
I would I would argue that eleven former and current employees think that they might be a bad actor. Okay. And this judge sure suggests yeah, no, that I, in fact uh, they might be a bad actor. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it's not no one. It's not zero. How many employees they have? Like three thousand employees at that place, I bet. <laughs> Probably over a thousand at the peak. Six hundred. Okay. So eleven of six hundred. Statistically valid, I guess. One percent, two percent. Yeah, it's valid. So it's a, it's a real number. It's it's not two. That's why when I say it gets to double digits, you might have a pattern going on here. Um, yep. It's just... But there's no lawsuits. So there's no crime going on here. He made people feel bad. He was a jerk. And he spent money on... Well, there there is... There's not a lawsuit from the employees. There's a no, lawsuit yeah, I'm talking over about the whether, first story. Right, yeah, right, back right. to the block story. The second yeah. one, yeah, he's in trouble. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, it's like, listen, when the market goes down, this is... These are the things that will happen. This is the the kind of like knives come out. Knives the tea, out. the knives. Yeah, exactly. Is that, oh yeah, that's the uh, yeah, that's the uh, glass onion. Knives out. Yeah, mm-hmm. knives yeah. come out. Knives Who knows out. what the truth is here? Like it's probably a little bit of a little bit of truth in each side. Four former employees who were closely with the CEO said, even as the bear market set in, Gary Gozlu appeared to be more concerned with generating hype by celebrity partnerships than he did building new products, running developers. Utilize Dapper's blockchain. So that's a strategy. Yeah, question. More to come, I'm sure. I'm certain that this is not the last Knives Out story that you will hear. I would be very us, careful with that uh, Southern District quarters. of New York. That is... I would look out for that. And I yeah, definitely... Yeah, is no joke. I'm mentally bookmarking this public versus private blockchain conversation for the next time Sonny and Benny are on because I think that's a really interesting wrinkle. I think they, yeah, just need to make it... They should make it public, yeah. They... That's a tough one. I mm-hmm. wonder what their thinking is there of why it needs to be. Oh, probably because they need to have controls. So here's where. This is where it gets dicey. If you want more controls to have more consumer protection, right? Then you're doing securities law. If you give less controls to not break the securities law, mm-hmm. then the public has no recourse. Like when somebody loses their Bitcoin wallet, right? So right. this is the. Or something just won't be as valuable. You can make it more valuable by minting it on your own blockchain and controlling every aspect of it. Yeah. AKA sort of security. Yeah. My understanding yeah. though is you could sell them on other blockchains. I'm sure hmm. you could sell them on other blockchains. Yeah. I would just imagine that the the flow thing is a, controlled by them. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if we're having a hard time thinking about what the right <laughs> thing to do here is, like I could see the SEC in Southern District also being like, huh. I think it's just like, we're going to, don't you feel like it, what's really going to happen is we're just moving to a universe where NFTs have to have utility. They cannot just exist to trade and be a collectible because that's always going to become some, that's some sort of a, it's to make money. Like fundamentally, it's, it's an investment with an expectation of profit in a common enterprise. It would, you know, you know, like the, you just keep coming back to that every time. Like maybe your NFT should just be a concert ticket and then we can avoid all that. Super like what happens in art, you know, it's long been known that some people use art as a way to, you know, collecting of art is seems to be a very, uh, it seems like the IRS and people who buy art are well aware of the nuances in buying and selling art and taxes mm-hmm. and the gains on them and inheritances. It seems, I don't want to say a loophole, but a loophole. Well, it's not a common enterprise. There are lots and lots of artists. Right? Like, right. I guess maybe that's the difference. Yeah. That's why it's, it's a four-part just, test, I guess. 
Yeah. And then there is the value in of owning it. So I own this mm -hmm. thing because I love it. It's, it has nothing to do with taxes or money or donations. So I bought this for 30 million and I got a donation for 30 million when I donated it to MoMA and right, you know, whatever. Sure. It just like always any seems asset, to be any asset of value can and will be arbitraged and exploited. And then the quest and the question is at what point do you hit all four ticks and then and then you're doing it to make money, right? Like you could argue that all the behavior you described about art is yeah. as a result of art being an underlying asset that has value, but it was not necessarily created to be an investment with an expectation of profit. It was art. Yeah. But if an NFT was created specifically to be an investment vehicle with an expectation of profit that would then flow back to the flow of blockchain and on and on and on. It's, yeah, it's, you know, it's tricky. Well, then the people buying the art from a free port, you know, remember that whole thing? So you don't have to pay taxes on it. Yeah, I mean, and then there's like the donations of it. I just every time I talk to a rich person about art, as a my head sketchy. starts spinning because they are doing so many different moves with their art that I'm like, this can't be legal. What's going yeah. on? What? Ex why exactly is all this effort going into art? It feels like more effort than the art is worth. Like, I mean, I, and then there's the wash trading that. Well, the wash trading that occurred in NFTs is definitely a real thing. Like where yeah. people were buy flipping them and then you come in and you're the 18th buyer of this, but in fact, you're the first buyer of it. Mm -hmm. The 17 people who came before you were just running it up to create a uh, wash or trading. they were kinda. also you. They were your 17 wallets. Sure. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. You, you armed it up yourself and now you're trying to find somebody to buy it half the price that you pushed it up to. If there's money to be made, people are going to figure out how to make that money. I mean, at the end of the day, like that's... Never not been true. The, the utility of NFTs is the key here. If they have some utility, that would be good. Mm -hmm. More utility would be good. Yeah. We'll see. All right, we'll everybody. See. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We're back. Uh, oh, and hey, is that the climate show is back. Uh, tell everybody what's happening. Tomorrow, yep. First edition of the Tuesday climate show. Excellent. Uh, we're going to break down some climate news. And then I'm focusing, at least in the beginning here, on some climate unicorns. So I'm talking to Arcadia. Excellent. One of the first climate unicorns uh, with a climate founder, they're doing community solar and all this kind of speaking of arbitrage, all this kind of energy mm. arbitrage that's just making tons of money. Then on Wednesday, another amazing angel interview. It's just Great. like a boom, boom, boom kind of week. All right, everybody. We will see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Bye bye.